The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Streaming on the Prime Media Plus app. DSTV Channel 856. 92.7. And 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, the Usindiso arson accused appears in court. The inquiry is also continuing. We'll focus in on the death of uh, shooting in the violent gang across fire on the Cape Flats. Pekilo Mbrula reports back after the ANC NEC Lakotla. The leader of the Moonshot Pack, the multi-party charter, holds a briefing ahead of this weekend's voter registration. And our book of the week is an easy election guide. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. We're following various uh, briefings for you. We are expecting Fakila Mbalula, uh, who's been reporting back on the ANC, NEC, Lechotla, and uh, also underway at the moment, the multi-party charter, the leaders of that, um, we still call it the Moonshot Pact, uh, holding a briefing, uh, a gathering ahead of this weekend's voter registration. The IEC has also been speaking ahead of the voter registration. Uh, weekend. So let's have a listen to what's happening at that multi-party moonshot packed briefing. Uh, I think Action SA currently at the podium. Let's have a listen in. To register, let us take it upon ourselves to take it a little step forward and make sure that our neighbours, our neighbours' neighbours, our communities are registered to vote so we can take this pathetic excuse of a government out of power. So that's what's happening live at the moment. Our reporter, Tabiso Koba, is there for us. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Thanks for, for making time to speak to us. Tell us about the, the event and what's taking place there. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, I can tell you it's quite an electric event um, here at the Johannesburg City Hall. Um, as you know, that um, the multi-party charter, formerly known as the Moonshot Pact, is now 11 parties, Mandy. So all those 11 parties currently being represented here and their supporters. Now, a majority of um, the people who are here, Mandy, are young people. And that is obviously very deliberate from the multi-party charter because um, what this vote, this uh, event is actually aimed at um, encouraging young people to actually vote. Now, we do know that according to the Electoral Commission, there are about 14 million people, um, eligible voters, who are still not registered to vote, and the majority of them are people aged under 40. So that's usually what we categorize as the youth. So here, the the youth leaders, it's been um, the leaders of the political parties, have been accompanied by the youth leaders, both making speeches after the other. And those speeches, Mandy, have largely been that it is time for young people to no longer sit on the sidelines, but actually, you know, vote and um, take charge of their future. So that is what this event is aimed at. Um, the Democratic Alliance leader, John Stinhazen, um, he spoke about the chances of the multi-party charter and that there is actually a very good chance of them um, taking over government. And he took a swipe at the president, Sarah Maposa, 
with, with the ANC that's recently just held a Lukota. This is what they had to say. And there's a man who calls himself the president of South Africa. And he hides away in the union buildings and he never does anything. He makes promises, but he never delivers anything. And you know what? He is scared and his party are terrified because they know that on the 8th of February, in seven days' time, that he will be delivering the last State of the Nation address for the ANC. And he is so terrified, and his party is so scared of all of us coming together from different parties, putting aside our differences, and working together towards a common goal because we love our country and we want to rescue our country. They are terrified. He's so terrified that they're already trying to find excuses about why they lost the election. Yesterday, he said that he's worried there's going to be regime change from outside influences. Well, I've got something to say to you today, Mr. President, through the people in this hall. What you see before you today is not regime change by some foreign government. What you see today is democratic change through the people of South Africa. Very interesting response there from uh, John Steenhuis and to those comments made by Sir Ramaphosa. Um, and there's been quite a lot of pushback to that uh, those comments about regime change, which seems to be... Uh, an, an early warning sign, really, about what the ANC may say if they do lose power. Um, to be so, there seems to be a sense there that the multi-party charter could, in fact, um, gain control of the country. The most recent polls, I think, put them at about thirty-six uh, percent. All the those parties together. How how do they believe this is possible? Well, Mandy, you know, I did have a very interesting conversation with the CEO of the Freedom Front Plus, uh, Mr. Peter Dineka. And um, he was very um, honest, maybe um, um, not very much political, but he said that, you know, when you look at the KwaZulu-Natal and you look at Gauteng, where the ANC in the last election had just um, um, 51 and 56%, he said those, those, um, those provinces um, are very much within the grasp of the multi-party charter. And he said, obviously, when you look at... Um, what's happening within the ANC, Zuma's defection from the ANC. Zuma is obviously going to take um, voters away from the ANC. There's obviously a real chance of the multi-party charter actually even having a national mandate. But um, you said, you know, one of the realistic ones that they're very much looking to is Gauteng and KwaZulu-Natal. And if it does happen, Mandy, that um, by somehow the ANC nationally drops below 50%, then there is obviously a very real chance um, that um, the multi-party charter might come in and become a new government. But there is also obviously, Mandy, the question of the EFF. We expect that the EFF, Mm -hmm. whatever happens, Mandy, will be a big player in determining the new government. Tabiso, thank you. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, who's at that event at uh, the uh, City Hall. A real atmosphere there, as you can hear. And and there seems to be genuine belief that this multi-party charter could uh, could move the ANC uh, out of uh, the governing party position. As I mentioned, I think the recent polling uh, from the Brenthurst Foundation puts the multi-party charter at about 36%. So I'm not sure that that is 
is necessarily possible. Well, the ANC is still upbeat and optimistic. The ANC Secretary General, Fakile Mbalula, is about to start a briefing, briefing the media on the resolutions of the recently held meeting of the National Executive Committee and the NEC Lakhotla. Mongezi Koko is there for us. Mongezi, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What are we expecting the SG to be dealing with today? Right, afternoon, Mandy. Well, what we expect the Secretary General to be touching on in particular today will be, of course, the outcomes of the NEC meeting. You will understand that we haven't really been given much when it comes to the Lhota itself, but we do anticipate that he'll go into great detail about the NEC. You will remember the main talking points will be the suspension of former President Jacob Zuma, the ruling of the ICJ, which has led to a lot of side conversations, particularly one of a systematic pushback when it comes to elections and perhaps how the party will handle this. Um, people suggesting that they'll be using this for their electioneering leading into the national elections this season. So the event was, the, well, the media briefing, excuse me, was supposed to start at 12, but Mandy, the SG is late and we were informed that he might be joining us maybe in 30 minutes an hour, we're not too certain, but I do know is that the media is waiting with bated breath. Some even suggest that if the, if the Secretary General doesn't arrive within the allocated time, they will be a walkout. Uh, if you were soccer journalists, I think there'd definitely be a walkout. Um, not so much political journalists. Um, how much is this issue of of Zuma overshadowing um, everything that's being discussed there? I know that uh, Mahlangi Bengal has been saying what I wanted to overshadow, um, but it does seem to be seeping through everywhere. Now, Mandy, let's go back to the recently held NEC meeting. Media members who attended the meeting tried to get the answer of what the ANC is going to be doing with regards to Jacob Zuma and was always pushed back that we'll address this eventually. Perhaps at the end of the meetings, we'll get back to it. And you will know that it really did take a back seat until everything was concluded. Now, on the sidelines here at this briefing, we tried to get a hold of Hengi Bengu just to chat to her and say, perhaps we'll be will Jacob Zuma's suspension be something that will be discussed today? And she's giving us the same answer that she's been giving for the past few weeks, that perhaps it will be discussed, but it's not going to be discussed in great detail. So I don't think that it's going to be a leading conversation when it comes to any of the outcomes, especially the upcoming Lahota outcomes, which the party is yet to release. Only then will we know if perhaps they're willing to discuss Jacob Zuma's suspension with the so close. Well, Mongezi, I wish you strength. I hope you have some uh, entertaining colleagues around. Uh, Mongezi, Koko, EWN reporter, waiting for Fukile Mbalula to start that briefing now, uh, which he is late for, the Secretary General of the ANC. If he does start before one o'clock, we'll try and bring you some of that live. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. The man who allegedly set the Usundiso building on fire, resulting in the deaths of 76 people, back in court today to set a date for his bail hearing. Stembiso Mdadlosi admitted uh, at the inquiry into the Marshalltown fire that he was behind the blaze. And so that court appearance is happening. The inquiry is also still continuing too. Alpha Ravashwana, EWN reporter, following that court appearance for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Tell us about today's court appearance. Good afternoon, Mandy. Tembiso, 30-year-old Tembiso Mdalose, the man who self-confessed to setting the Usindiso building on fire, has made his second uh, and very brief appearance uh, in the Randburg, uh, well, 
the Johannesburg Central uh, uh, Magistrates Court today, and his uh, defense, uh, his lawyer has announced plans to abandon bail. Uh, and we do understand that at the moment uh, he's expected to go to the Usindiso building uh, alongside uh, the police just to point out, you know, as we do know that he confessed uh, to the National Prosecuting Authority and uh, the magistrates that he was behind the fire that killed more than 76 people last year. But of course, uh, Mandy, we are also going to be seeing, uh, uh, you know, in the next few days whether or not uh, 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 the Commission of Inquiry into the Marshalltown fire will continue hearing uh, evidence from some of the people who lived in the building. We do know that a number of the witnesses did, in fact, name and accused him of being behind the fire. So uh, his case has been postponed to the 6th of uh, March and uh, it's for further investigations. We do understand at the moment that there are 11 outstanding post-mortem reports and about 13 J88 forms that still need to be made available to the National Prosecuting Authority. Do we know why his lawyers have decided to abandon a bail application? I, I mean, I'm not surprised that they've abandoned it, but have they said why? No, they, they, in fact, it, it, you know, from my observation when I was covering the court case, uh, his lawyer, Mr. Mabunda, actually wanted to clarify why exactly they were abandoning bail, but he was cut off by the magistrate's information as to why they decided to abandon his bail. Okay, and as you said, uh, we are still hearing from witnesses in the actual inquiry and some very emotional testimony coming, uh, coming out there this week already, Alpha. Yes, of course, we've heard a number of uh, people who lived in the Usindiso building uh, giving witness uh, oral evidence before the Commission of Inquiry into the Marshalltown fire. And a number of them have uh, vividly dis- depicted and described uh, the emotional scenes that played out uh, following uh, the fire there. And in fact, right now I'm standing just outside the Usindiso building and I'm looking at the windows uh, and, you know, I can remember some of them. In fact, most of the victims uh, telling the Commission that they had to jump straight from the third and some the second floor uh, laid out across the street so that, you know, they could just save their lives. In fact, yesterday we heard uh, 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 Mr. his name is Mr. Dube. He used to live in the Usindiso building since 2019. He's told the commission that uh, the hijacking of uh, the Usindiso building uh, was benefiting, you know, some of the local councillors in this area. He, you know, boldly asserted that uh, the local councillors in this area would gaining financially from, you know, the shacks that were erected here. Some of them were even benefiting from collecting rent in this hijacked building. So uh, the the victims have painted a picture of what was going on here. Of course, we've heard that there was a man who used to run some of the drug operations in this building. Uh, They say he used to torture people using a pit bull and he had a basement which they called a slaughterhouse. And that's where he's allegedly murdered a number of people, you know, in, in this very same Usindiso building. So they've painted a picture of what was happening before uh, the fire that killed more than 70 people in August last year. Alpha, thank you so much. Uh, Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter. So many angles of this that are developing uh, in parallel here. And he's watching all of those for us. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Also in court today, the trial of murder-accused pediatric surgeon Peter Bill. That's continuing. It's been running all week. He has pleaded not guilty to the murder of three children who died after he operated on them, allegedly as a result of his reckless conduct. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, following that one for us. Uh, Bernadette, we had one witness on the stand for, for most of the week so far. Is that same witness still on the stand? That same witness is still on the stand, Mandy, and he is expected to be on the stand for the rest of the day and potentially tomorrow as well.
So what is new in terms of what he's saying? If I recall correctly, he is also a uh, surgeon, as you've told us, and he's been mm. speaking about um, testimony that uh, uh, or an investigation that he was involved in too. So uh, bring us up to, up to date on that. Yes, so this witness is also a paediatric surgeon and he's testifying as an expert witness. And we'll remember that in his evidence in chief, um, he told us that uh, in 2009, Professor Beale had offered to assist others with their surgeries in order to try and claw back the money that he allegedly lost in this tanked investment, which is essentially what the state alleges was his motive for for performing what they've called unnecessary surgeries. Now, under cross-examination today, um, Beale's counsel, Ian Green, put it to him that this suggestion was absolutely absurd. He spoke about um, Professor Beale's seniority and his reputation and his being a world-renowned pediatric surgeon. And he also read into the record a journal article that spoke about Beale as being um, as being the definition of the general pediatric surgeon, saying he had a passion for operating, that he was a mentor, and how at his retirement, another internationally renowned surgeon had actually said he was the best technical surgeon he had ever worked with. And against this backdrop, Green is saying that this suggestion that Professor Beale would ever offer to, to stand as an assistant surgeon is absolutely absurd. Um, we're now getting into evidence around the current witnesses' findings um, on the post-mortem report where he essentially found that in the case of one of these children, a three-year-old little boy, um, this witness found that the surgery had been performed incorrectly in essence. Now, that, those findings come off the back of the post-mortem report, but he was actually forced to concede that some of his evidence around here needs to be ignored for now at least until the author of the post-mortem report actually comes to testify because he can't say for certain exactly how that post-mortem was carried out and that's where we are at the moment. Bernadette, thank you very much for that. Uh, Bernadette Wicks uh, following the testimony there. Still the same witness on the stand in the trial of paediatric surgeon, Professor Peter Beale. 702. Let's walk the talk. Also in court in Cape Town, the uh, court uh, hearing how Nafiz Modak and three of uh, the accused in that matter guilty of the attempted murder of defence attorney William Booth. Uh, let's get an update there with Carlo Peterson, EWN reporter. Uh, Carlo, Nafiz Modak has been appearing in court on a different matter for most of the week. Today, he's appearing in the matter of the attempted murder of defence attorney William Booth. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, good afternoon, Mandy. So uh, we we heard how these uh, three co-accused allegedly attempted to kill Booth in a shooting at his Higavale home in April 2020. Um, and today the court has heard how Modak and one of those co-accused, Zane Killian, allegedly surveilled Booth by illegally tracking his phone more than 600 times. Uh, the state has argued that Modak is also behind the unlawful interception of communication from the cell phones of various individuals, including lawyers, police officers, and gang rivals. Um, one of those um, include Charles Kinia, um, who was uh, that uh, anti-gang detective who was murdered in 2020, and another prominent police officer, uh, General Jeremy Beery. Um, other names on that list include the city's MACO member for safety and security, J.P. Smith, and um, some alleged criminal figures, uh, Mark Liffman and Ralph Stanfield. Um, both Modak and Killian have pleaded not guilty to the charges today. 
Carlo, thank you very much. Carlo Peterson, EWN reporter, uh, with uh, some insights there into what's happening in court in that matter, with Nafiz Modak and his co-accused appearing and being charged with the attempted murder of defence attorney William Booth. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good afternoon, Mandy and your, your, your listeners. I just have a question here about the DA and John Stenhazen. Doesn't that party have anything else to talk about other than the ANC? Whether it's at a conference or a rally, an election campaign, it's almost ANC, Ramaphosa. I mean, they're acting like a bitter ex who cannot move on with life. Can they just focus on their campaign, focus on telling us what it is that they can deliver for us? We are tired of hearing about the ANC from the DA. Whenever we are attending a rally of the DA, we are there to hear what the DA has to offer us, not what the ANC is doing wrong. This is Eugene from Soshanguve. Good day, uh, Mendivina. It's Norman and Pichoria. I think uh, former President Jacob Zuma does have a point in relation to the uh, IEC in terms of them interfering. You'll, you'll recall that uh, earlier in January, uh, the UDM party leader, Bandolo Misa, submitted some information regarding an IT guy, uh, and we have not received an update from the IEC in relation to what's happening. And as for President uh, Ramaphosa saying that uh, foreign forces will hijack the election, I think is false, and uh, he's dreaming. He must face the consequences of what they've done for the last eight years. Thank you so much. Thank you very much uh, for those views responding there to um, that bit of John Stenhausen that we played at that uh, multi-party coalition moonshot pact alliance uh, conference that's happening at the moment. Um, and yeah, I think that, look, this is definitely a tactic of, of the DA is to talk about the negatives of the ANC. The DA, however, would argue that uh, they have been offering alternatives too, but that's why it's up to you, the electorate, to decide. 702. 702. Mandy Wee. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. 12.34 on the Midday Report. We've been telling you this week about the, 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 the terribly harrowing story of the murder of Ferdos Kleinschmidt uh, while at school, this 12-year-old who was killed in gang crossfire in Mitchell's Plane. And, and that incident really raising the anger and frustration within the community in Beacons Valley and just around that area. Um, our reporter, Lauren Isaacs, has been out there speaking to people and also speaking to, to the parents uh, of, of other children who have also been killed in gang violence. Lauren, good afternoon to you. Tell me about the conversations you've been having. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, yes, well, out in uh, Mitchell's Plain in Lentechia um, yesterday for the funeral of 12-year-old Firdos Kleinsmith, I was approached by um, many community members um, who spoke about um, their feelings um, and how they were frustrated and um, had just had enough of, of gang violence and crime in that area. I was approached by um, a gentleman, also a Lentechia resident, who spoke about how gang violence is breaking families apart and has been doing so uh, for many years. Nazim January said um, Fedosa's death has opened up old wounds and reminds him of the pain he felt when losing two of his own children, both talented soccer players, to gang violence in Mitchell's Plain. His eldest son was killed in 2015 at the age of 24 and his youngest 
son was gunned down two years later at the age of 14. He explained, Mandy, how his wife had sent the teenager to, to the shop um, 15 minutes before they called to pray um, during the month of Ramadan. And as he left the driveway, there was a shooting in the street and his son was hit. And he says that all these years later, nothing has come from the police's investigations into his children's murders. And he says at the time, the community was just as outraged as it is now uh, following Sadosa's death. But he says it seems as though the anger and will to stand up against gang violence were short-lived. Let's take a listen to what he said. This is a very painful thing. I feel it with, with the family and I can relate to the community. But where does it leave us? Is this is going to be another Ridoa and Yasin case? I hope in this case, justice will prevail. Sure, Lauren, thank you very much uh, for that and just highlighting uh, just the, the, the problem uh, with gang violence on the Cape Flats and the impact that it's having when you look at how many children are being killed there. An important, important story. Thank you to Lauren Isaacs for bringing us that. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, along a, a similar theme, another story we've been looking at in the city of Joburg is the very brazen shooting of a Randwater official in that incident that also left the city council's chief whip, Sitembiso Zungu, wounded. The Joburg mayor, Cabello Guamanda, has condemned that shooting. The council speaker has condemned it as well. Um, a statement by the mayor, Cabello Guamanda, saying that Zungu and uh, other Joburg and Randwater officials were attending that event where they were donating school shoes and other items to disadvantaged children and how um, this incident gives us a shattering impression of the lawlessness with which criminal elements terrorise our residents and society. A pleasure to welcome the Joburg Mayor, Cabello Guamanda, to the Madeira Report today. Mr Mayor, thank you very much for making time to speak to us. Mr Mayor, can you hear us? Okay, I'm going to put uh, the mayor back to uh, to Kamagwini and see if we can uh, sort out that line. He has been waiting to speak to us. So we're going to um, get the mayor back on and hear what he has to say. It is always good to have the mayor on air, so we'll bring him back to you. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday. 12 to 1 p.m. Well, let's go straight back to the mayor of Joburg, Kabila Guamanda, who's joining us to speak about this Randwater shooting incident in which the uh, chief whip in the city of Joburg was wounded also. Uh, Mr. Mayor, Kabila Guamanda, thank you very much for your time. Um, thank you very much and good afternoon to you and your viewers. Uh, what is your reaction, firstly, to this shooting incident, the, the brazenness of it and, and, and what appears to at least have, have been a, a hit which happened in full view of many school children? The first reaction, I must confess, it was anger, uh, taking into account the fact that uh, lawlessness and, and criminality seems to be uh, prevalent in, in modern society, and in particular, the city of Johannesburg, and that criminals are of the view that they can act with impunity, and that police officers um, are afraid to do their jobs, perhaps. That's why they are open in the manner in which they are. Um, I was... I was I was angered by what had transpired. Have you been in uh, conversation with the police at all in terms of uh, cooperation, in terms of um, just making sure that this matter is properly investigated? Um, basically, I had requested the MMC of public safety 
to be the one that engages because I always prefer to give the respective departments a, a leverage to be able to, to, to do their job because one other contributing factor is that uh, we are not consistent in what we are supposed to do uh, as deployed or as appointed officials. So for him to be fully accountable to a certain extent, he needs to be uh, reacting the manner in which he is supposed to as a department so that when I have that level of interaction, um, then I'm able to escalate whichever areas that need to be addressed. Because the first call that I had made was to the Premier but do you see what is happening um, in the city and in the province? We need to have a, a constructive engagement and have a, a formidable program on how we put in place measures that are going to prevent these kind of situations moving forward. We have been having conversations about the devolution of the police service, uh, particularly in the Western Cape. And in fact, the Western Western Cape Community Safety MEC said that this is an idea which is gathering momentum in Gauteng. Would you be in favour of the devolution of police in, in Johannesburg, where Johannesburg has takes responsibility for its own policing beyond uh, just bylaws or what the JMPD is responsible for? Um, we have delegated authority from the South African Police Services to focus on a particular area. Um, I feel, and, and I think it is important for us to understand that certain actions would contribute to, to the eroding and, and the devoid uh, state of um, functions of government because we want to gain independence. Uh, over and above the fact that we need to be uh, collaborative in in our approach and no and not overburden certain functions to a particular sphere of government we need to collaborate so that we can assist each other to efficiently and effectively respond to such issues so in in the context of the city of johannesburg um, the relationship that we are beginning to solidify with south african police services is one that i i am closely monitoring so that the relationship remains intact and we understand fully what our responsibilities are so that we can be held accountable on that how is the Joburg Council Chief Whip uh, Stimbiso Zungu doing? Um, I, I'm glad to say that uh, yesterday he was released um, and he is now at home recovering. Um, so he's, 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 he's looking well and, and he's recovering uh, quite well to the to the injuries that he has sustained. Psychologically, would uh, deploy. Um, um, the social department to go and intervene on that level because I can imagine the level of stress that uh, he's under at this point due to not understanding uh, what may have been the contributing factor for him to be caught in a situation of that nature. But we are working very closely with the South African Police Service to see this investigation through so that we can be able to get certain answers that we need to act on as well. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for making time to speak to us today. Cabello Guamanda, the mayor of the city of Joburg, responding there to uh, that shooting incident in which the chief whip was wounded. Uh, also, uh, two Randwater officials, uh, one Randwater official and a protector dying in that very brazen uh, attack, which does look very much like a targeted assassination. What do you think there about what the Joburg mayor is saying um, about that, about the responsibility of policing, this conversation around devolution as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
Hi, good morning, Mandy. Johnny from Jameson. Well, I greet to some of the old listeners about the DA. Uh, John yesterday said, yes, you must go. He's, he's got no plans. Gonna, all he talks about is like I agree with some of them. I ain't see Ramaphosa. I ain't see Ramaphosa. I've had enough of They must get a better leader. Huh? They won't get, they're not going to get my vote this time. That's for sure. Thank you. Good day, Mandy Wiener. Uh, Simon Mabulo, the IEC guy, he announced 27 million people who are on the voters roll. So my question is, is he counting as well with the, those who are deceased after 1994? Because last year we've counted over 200 people who are deceased and they're still on the voters roll. Tabiso from Midlands. Hi Mandy, good afternoon. Um, no, about that 12-year-old girl that died, you know, because of these gangsters shooting, you know, that is one too many, and this has been going on for years and years. Becky Taylor, yesterday, uh, apparently is concerned about the racial tension in La Popo or KwaZulu-Natal. Really? Oh my goodness, does he even know the girl got shot? You know, I, I, I doubt it. You know, they should make that a top, top priority. These gangsters have taken over. They feel feathers. Even the police are scared of them. And the army, goodness, don't even get me, don't even, don't even go there. So, so yeah, no, it's terrible. It must come to a stop. It has to stop. It has to. It's one death too many, and there's been hundreds and hundreds. Very sad. Anyway, Mandy, great show. Cheers. John Kelsover, bye. Thank you so much. A diversity of views there on a variety of opinions as well. But hey, listen, stop the presses because I have breaking news for you. Um, if you are an F1 fan, look, it's not official, but I almost fell off my chair when Tola Kelly just uh, showed me this. But there are reports that Lewis Hamilton will join Ferrari for the 2025 season. Hasn't been confirmed yet by Ferrari or by Mercedes. But can you imagine... Lewis Hamilton driving for Ferrari. What do you think about that? Do you think he's going to be successful if he leaves Mercedes? Can you believe he's leaving Mercedes? We're waiting for some kind of confirmation. But Sky Sports is reporting it and BBC is reporting it. Hmm, it may well be possible. And now it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. So in a couple of minutes, uh, we're going to do our book of the week, which uh, looks at the upcoming elections. But just before we get there, as a precursor, uh, the IEC's general manager for electoral operations, Granville Abrahams, was on 702 this morning with Bongani Bingwa, giving info about the voter registration weekend, which is happening this weekend, uh, where people can vote, uh, where they can register. Have a quick listen to what he had to say. It is the final opportunity for what we refer to as in-person voter registration, uh, but we will still be continuing until proclamation date with our online uh, registration uh, facility. Who needs to check? Well, everyone. (laughs) Um, In 2021, we amended the legislation. Uh, In the past, uh, um, voters would be aware that, uh, in effect, you would be able to go to any voting station and say, I want to vote, you have proof of registration. Uh, In local government election, however, that was not the case. You could only register, uh, at least vote. You could only vote where you were registered 
And we have now taken that into national and provincial elections as well. So it's important for uh, voters who are already registered to ensure that they are registered where they are residing or where they intend casting their vote. If not, chances are that they will be not they will be disenfranchised or not allowed to vote on the day because the legislation now says only uh, vote where you are registered. So that's the IEC's general manager for electoral operations, Granville Abrahams, on with Pungani Pingua this morning. 702 and Cape Talk. Book of the Week. And that beautifully segues into our book of the week. It is called South Africa's Easy Election Guide, Who to Vote for in 2024. And it's written by a very familiar name and voice to you, Nicolaus Bauer, who delves into the pressing issue of growing apathy in South Africa's democracy, emphasizing the urgent need to address this trend before it leads to decline in voter participation. But beyond that, Nicolaus has also interviewed 14 political parties, giving uh, readers a, a comprehensive overview of each party's stance on key issues. Uh, so, great pleasure to welcome back to 702 and Cape Talk, uh, Nicolaus Bauer. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon to you, Mandy. Uh, thanks for the kind words. It's good to know that uh, not everybody has forgotten about me. <laughs> so listen, voter apathy is uh, a huge issue in this country. We know from the IEC, uh, if you look at the voter turnout historically, there's been a decline over the past few elections. I think as low as 12 million South Africans voted in the last uh, uh, the last local government elections. Um, wh- why did you feel that this was an issue that you needed to address? Well, the graph is pretty clear, Mandy. I mean, you know, we, we had around 80, uh, mid 80, 80s to 88% voter turnout from 1994 into 1999. Um, and that is a regression to 65% uh, in 2019. But that graph even gets worse when you look at the overall eligible voting population. Less than half of the people that are eligible to vote in South Africa actually chose to do so in 2019. And you know, as I've been saying since this book has been launched, the, the road to uh, a failed state is really paved with voter apathy. And this is my attempt at just trying to, to ensure that people have less, uh, less of an excuse uh, as to why they didn't vote. Uh, a lot of the time, people say that they don't understand the voting process. They don't find a political party that speaks to them. And this really is just an easy reference guide for people to have a look at and and try and find a political party that they remotely identify with. It's not going to solve our problems as a country. It's not going to solve our problems as a democracy. But it's my uh, attempt at trying to to provide uh, one less excuse for voters not to turn up on election day. I always say that uh, people should find the political party that is least bad or the one they consider the least bad and vote for that one. But they have to vote for, for one at least. So what you've done in this book is... Uh, interview 14 different political parties and try and at least set out um, from manifestos and, and intentions how to differentiate. Uh, what, what was the, the, the plan um, around that? So I looked at all political parties that are in the National Assembly uh, that are likely to, to, to uh, fight elections um, uh, this year, uh, as well as political parties that are polling to enter the National Assembly, your newcomers, the likes of Boza, the likes of Rise and Zanzi, um, along with a whole host of other political parties um, and um, independent candidates, uh, only 14 decided to take part. Uh, for instance, Bongani Beloit Koluva, um, they decided that they didn't want to take part in the uh, in the book, in the interview. He said that he's still developing his policies. Zaki Ahmed said that he didn't want his 
policy offering to the South African people to be a box-ticking exercise. He wants to be a voice uh, to the electorates. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that meant, but the bottom line is, is that it's only 14 political parties uh, that are in the book. They are looking into 14 uh, electoral issues. Um, I think I did maybe blunder by leaving out uh, health, but all your usual suspects are there. Um, safety and security, economic growth and job creation, housing is there. And I've also tried to include some innovative ones like tourism, unsung here in the South African economy, if you ask me. And one that I don't think is really understood in South African politics, artificial intelligence. You know, it's, it's more than the fourth industrial revolution and fancy tracksuits with um, with the fourth industrial revolution um, emblazoned on them. Um, it really is a massive opportunity for the South African economy, but also really a monumental threat as well. If you look at the the threat to uh, semi-skilled labour that artificial intelligence puts forward. Uh, on that note also, um, you do look at the, the role that mis- and disinformation play in the electoral landscape as well and uh, that it's likely to play in this upcoming election. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, political parties are also very candid uh, about it. Um, two that really stick out in mind is Ryzen Zanzi and Good's approach to artificial intelligence. They, they say that in the end, we don't not only need to legislate uh, artificial intelligence to ensure that there's fair usage and fair, um, uh, you know, not negative impacts on our, uh, our labor force, but also, yeah, they want to look at legislation that prevents our democracy from being under threat from uh, uh, things like bots and uh, fake accounts, not only on social media, but also indeed, you know, there's tools out there that are to, uh, at the very least, damage our democracy, like so many others in the world. Or the role that uh, uh, fake news and alternative facts have played in the U.S. electoral cycle since 2016. And um, South Africans should not think that we're immune from that. So, I mean, this, this book is just really a snapshot in time. Um, it's a very easy to, to read book. It's a very big book. Uh, uh, Mandy, so don't worry about that. Uh, it's free to download as well. Um, it's courtesy of the Stiftung, a, a German foundation, political foundation. And um, really, like I said, it's, it's in two hours you'll be able to read it, you'll understand what all political parties are, what their history is, where they come from, who their leader is, what the ideology, um, uh, uh, ideological approach is, and also uh, just to see you know, what speaks to you, what speaks to you as a voter. And, yeah, I'll leave you with this one final thought as you, the voter, listening right now. If you are worried about voting for the wrong party in 2024, don't worry. You'll have another chance in five years' time. And uh, <laughs> if you want to vote in the local government elections even sooner. You will indeed. Um, so just to pick up on that point uh, to wrap up, Nicholas, you said the book is free to download. So if people do want to get it, how can they get it? Yeah, so only a 1,000 copies were printed, uh, courtesy of the University of Pretoria's Emerging Scholar Initiative. Um, and that is going to be free in libraries as well as universities and other uh, community centers and that type of thing. Um, but it is freely available on the ESI website. That's the Emerging Scholars Initiative. You also find it on my Twitter, uh, or oh, Biggie Button X. Sorry about that, Elon. Um, it's a downloadable link uh, as an ebook, uh, and uh, I've also been distributing it as um, a PDF as well. You know, uh, don't feel bad if the if the book lands in your uh, WhatsApp as a PDF. Um, it's not like the Dorator book yes. or maybe the President's Keepers. Uh, this is a book that I really want uh, people to be spreading 
far and wide to, to get people out to the ballot box come election day. Nicholas, thank you so much. Well done for, for doing that. And thanks for chatting to us as well. Nicholas Bauer is a journalist. He's the author of South Africa's Easy Election Guide, Who to Vote for in 2024. And uh, as we've explained, or as he explained there, it is easy to, to download. So go and read it. Uh, go and get informed and uh, just make sure that you register to vote this weekend.